stuff muted. That's good. <laughs> I, I want to start today by unmuting my mic. Um, but I want to start today by sharing with you part of the Christmas story. Now, in this story, the wise men or magi come and they talk to King Herod because they've seen a star and the star is telling them, to them, they've interpreted this as something they need to go see. So these men were probably scientists or scholars or even kings, some people would say, who came from places like Ethiopia, Persia, and India. Now, King Herod is jealous because he's heard about this Jesus person who was born, and he wants, he wants to take him out. He wants to get rid of him. Why does he want to do that? Because Jesus is a threat to Herod. Herod hears king, right? And he believes that Jesus is here to take his throne. So Herod sends the Magi to find Jesus, and he tells them, hey, when you find him, come tell me where he is, and I'll, I'll go worship him as well. Well, the Magi, they follow the star, and they find Jesus, who is almost about two years old when they get there, and they find him in his home, and they worship him, and they gave him their gifts. And in a dream, they get warned, don't go back to Herod, because he, he, does, he means Jesus harm. So they go home another way. Now, I want to read here in Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up to Matthew chapter 2 or pull them up on your Bible app if you've got them. We've got them available at the Hub. If you want a Bible, we give them to you for free. But we're going to read this story about what happens after this takes place. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I'm going to say to you that, honestly, that is the most bummer of a Christmas part of the story that we can read. It really is. I mean, seriously, while we get to celebrate what God did in protecting Jesus and sending Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Egypt, the rest of that story is really sad, really is. I mean, imagine those poor families who lived in Bethlehem in that area who had just happened to give birth to boys at the same time as Jesus, or even in the next two years, right? These families were dealt, dealt a serious blow. And they were probably dealing with some awful grief as a result of this. Now, grief is a really powerful feeling. And when we so sometimes lose someone in our lives, we feel grief. There's a deep sorrow in our hearts. And honestly, it's very hard to explain what it's like. I mean, some people will call it a dark place. You'll call it a pit right? A place of total isolation and sadness. I'm just going to say to you, over the last few years, it has felt like we've lost a lot of people. 
So many lives have been cut short due to sickness or disease or disasters, terrible things. And honestly, it's been kind of hard to handle the grief that comes along with that. And yet here's the truth. Our grief isn't even always tied just to losing a person. We can have grief for a number of things that we lose. I mean, if you lose your job, you know, when, when you lose a job, there's sometimes grieving that comes with that change in your life when you lose that thing you've relied upon. When we lose friends, that will happen over time. As we grow older and, and we go through phases of life, sometimes we grow apart from people and, and people change. And the people who we once thought would be our friends forever, they're no longer in our lives. There can come sorrow with that. Sometimes our circumstances, we grieve our circumstances. We, when we graduate high school or we graduate college, we can grieve that change or what that means and how we are going to miss the things we used to have. Sometimes there's grief for parents who become empty nesters because their kids are no longer home and they grieve what that looks like. Maybe you grieve a loss of a relationship. When a marriage ends, that can become a lot of sorrow and a lot of grief that goes through that phase. When you have a dating relationship that doesn't work out for whatever reason, you know, cheating, inconsistent futures, lack of connection, whatever it is, when that, when that stops, then you suffer. There's grief. Sometimes, and this is an interesting, we grieve the decisions we've made. When we've made mistakes and we struggle and we feel like there's no way to get back to the way things used to be or I can't be the person that God wants me to be, you grieve that. Whatever the reason for our grief, we all deal with it in different ways. And there's some ways that sometimes that we deal with grief that are just not healthy. See, our normal plan for dealing with grief is to wait it silently out sometimes. That's our thing. We, we deny the loss, right? We say, like, this isn't that big of a deal. I can get over this. Sometimes we delay our pain. Have you ever done that where you, you say things like, time will heal all wounds? Oh, boy, right? That's a good one. You hear that one a lot. Time will heal this. Or, you know what? If I just bottle this up inside, if I just push this down deep inside, it will go away. Sometimes we distract ourselves, right? We'll say, you know what, I'll just go back to work and I'll put my nose down and I'll work harder. And if I work harder, I'll forget about this and I'll move on. Or what we do is we fill our lives with other things to distract us. Things like going out and partying and drinking and hanging out with unhealthy relationships and people who are not giving us, making up and us make good choices. That's what we fill our lives with. We will do things to keep ourselves from thinking about the grief that we're dealing with. But you see, the, God's plan for our grief is to actually talk to him about it. He wants to acknowledge the reality of our pain. I know this sounds strange, but grief is actually a gift from God because it gives us a chance to turn to him, it gives us a chance to talk to him, the creator of the universe now, the person who made you and knows you, and he wants you to tell him about your pain and about your losses. He wants you to know that he's worried about you and that he cares about you. 
He wants us to acknowledge the reality of our pain. And so that we can hear from him about his comfort. And so today our big idea is this. When you give God your grief, God gives you his joy. When you give God your grief, God gives you his joy. So today we're going to talk about somebody else who was dealing with grief. Back in the Old Testament, back long before Jesus was born, there was a famous king. His name was David. You may have heard of him if you've read the Bible before. But David wrote the book of the Bible called Psalms. The Psalms in the Bible. And in these passages, he bears his heart for God in all kinds of situations that he's in. And so in Psalm 30, which we're going to read a part of today, he writes this as a song, as a dedication for the temple of the time. So he's writing this as a song, but again, he takes this moment to bear his heart before God, and he reflects on his own life experiences. And these experiences are things of grief and loss and suffering. So we're going to read part of Psalm 30. So if you open that, if you go to Psalm 30, it's in the Old Testament. So here's what it says, starting in verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord for his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And we're going to skip down to verse 8 here. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And this is a great passage, man. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. See, there's a couple of phrases in here that I think that we should look at. I want to narrow in on so that we can just see how God wants us to look at grief, how he wants us to view this. First, David says this. He said, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What I think we see here is David is reminding us that we may grieve, and that's okay. We are weeping, we are suffering, but that this pain, this sorrow, it will only last for a period. He talks about the temporary nature of grief that we feel. And then in verse 11, he says this, you turned my wailing into dancing, now, when you're suffering, can you imagine getting up and dancing? I can't imagine. I can't imagine half y'all in here dancing if you're not suffering. I don't even want to think about it. You don't want to see me dance. It's a dad dance for sure, all right? I don't, I don't like to feel like dancing a lot when I'm feeling in sorrow. But then he says, you removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. Now, that's the exchange that we've been talking about through this season, right? We've been saying, exchange your troubles for God's treasure. And this is the exchange that David is talking about. He said a sackcloth, and this might not make any sense to you, but a sackcloth was something that 
the Israelites would actually wear, they would replace their clothes with like a sackcloth when they were in sorrow and when they were grieving. It was a sign for other people to say that that person is suffering, they are grieving. And so David was saying, listen, you exchanged my sackcloth, you exchanged my grief for joy, for rejoicing. You put the clothes of joy on me, God. And David is saying that sometimes what he's really saying here is that we need to sometimes remove ourselves from the hustle and the bustle of the world, especially this time of year, guys, when things are moving fast, right? We get caught up in what should be a joyful season. And sometimes, and I'm just being truthful with you, David is saying this is okay. We need to step away and say to God, listen, my heart hurts. I miss someone, I miss something, I'm hurting God. And what we know is, is that the gift that God gives us in return is the clothing of joy. The truth is joy is something we get, not as something that's just earned, but it's a gift from God. When you give God your grief, God gives you his joy. I think when we hear the word joy, though, there's some confusion. We hear the word joy and we think laughing and smiling and having a good time. And honestly, some of those things, they can come along with joy. I'm not saying that they don't come with joy, but that's not what the Bible necessarily defines as joy. You see, these things, smiling and laughing, happiness and all that, they're tied to happiness. And happiness is oftentimes tied to our circumstances, I mean, have you ever let your happiness be overshadowed by your circumstance? I know I have. I mean, there's times when happiness is not really possible. Maybe you've tied your happiness to your career, right? You've, you've based that upon your happiness, and then when that gets taken away due to layoffs or whatever reason, you struggle. Maybe your happiness is based upon your success in the athletic world, like on the soccer field or the football field or baseball or volleyball or swimming, it's tied to all these things that you do athletically, and then an injury occurs, and you can't do that thing, and then your happiness changes. Or your happiness is tied to a relationship with someone else, and that ends. It's in these moments that our grief can overshadow our happiness. But is that the joy that we're talking about? It's not. You see, joy actually equals hope and peace in our hearts, regardless of our circumstance. Joy is something that we can possess. It is something that we can get from God. But it's not something that we can obtain on our own. Joy doesn't necessarily mean that I'm smiling and laughing and that I feel happy in the moment. What joy means is that there is an assurance. There is an assurance from God that I feel deep down inside of me that there is hope. And there's the peace and the favor of God shines upon me even when I'm not feeling like smiling or laughing. So in moments of grief, I can still be given joy. Now, I can say all this to you, and we can read all this stuff that David says, and I'm sure that there's some of you sitting out here today or some of you watching online today who are thinking, 
But how does God do this? How does God assure me that there is joy or that I can be comforted in this? And there's two ways that I think we can see how God does this for us. And I just want to talk through these real quickly with you. The first is this. God comforts us now by reminding us that he has walked through grief himself and is willing to walk through it with us. I talked about this a little bit last week, but we have a God who came off of his throne in the form of Jesus and joined us here on earth. And this song we've been singing through this series, this King of Kings songs, the words say, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. That's what Jesus chose to do. He chose to come here. And when he came, and although he wasn't like us in the fact that he did not sin, he felt the same pains of sorrow while he lived here. I mean, look at this story of, the, of, of his friend Lazarus. And, and later in the book of John, we can read this story about Lazarus. And Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and he was a friend of Jesus. He knew Jesus well. And when he became sick, Mary and Martha, they sent for Jesus to come. And Jesus took his time getting there. If you read it, he wasn't in any hurry. And before he could arrive, Lazarus dies. And so when Jesus shows up, Martha and Mary are asking, why didn't you come sooner, Lord? You could have healed him. You could have saved him. Why did you wait? And Jesus is trying to help them understand, listen, Lazarus is going to live again. Don't worry about it. But they don't get it. And I just want to read to you how this story goes. It's in John chapter 11, starting at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this passage, man, it gets to me. He says, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is a great representation for us to understand that Jesus really gets grief. Because here's the truth. After this story is, the end of the story is, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And he knew he was going to do that. He knew he could. And he also knows that with his own death shortly after, he's going to create a way where Lazarus and all of us can live forever. And yet he weeps for Lazarus. Isn't that a little strange? Just think about it. I'm telling you, if I had the power to bring someone back to life, I wouldn't cry. I'd be like... Watch this. I'm going to raise him from the dead. So why did he weep? He didn't weep because of what he lost. He wept because he had compassion for the grief. He felt for the people there suffering. This reflects the fact that God understands our suffering. He understands our grief. He can relate to the sorrow that we feel. He cries with us. But see, he also promises us a future. 
So because of this, I would ask you in this season, if you're dealing with grief and you're struggling, consider approaching God in prayer in a bold new way and just acknowledge the fact that he has an intimate connection with you, that he feels your pain, he understands your pain. You see, in the scripture, it calls him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel actually means God with us. He still walks with us. He's with us every day. He is not Buddha or Muhammad or some other distant, not real God. He doesn't set up on a mountain and just not have any connection to us. But instead, he stands out and above as the one who saves us by aligning himself with our weaknesses so that he can lift us up. And so this leads to the second thing that we see is God can offer us joy even through our grief, and is this. God comforts us later by removing every reason for grieving for all eternity. See, the Christmas story is just the beginning of what we know about Jesus. I mean, later Jesus would choose to die for our sins, allowing himself to be nailed to the cross and suffer That's a great example of a God who understands our suffering. But yet the reason he did this was so that we could be promised an eternal reward, so that there could be no more death. In the book of Revelation, which is the very last book of the Bible, okay, and it's a letter that was written to the churches of the time just to show them what the end would look like. This is the words that John wrote in here. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. See, oftentimes these words are used in the time of death when people have passed. And they're used to comfort us because we get to see the promise of a new earth. A place for our eternal resting. A place we can go to. Yet, why does it comfort us in our grief? I think we got to go back to why we grieve. We grieve because we're missing something. We grieve because we miss a person, a situation, a friend, a relationship. We grieve for what appears to be lost forever. And yet Jesus makes a promise for us here that changes all of us. The passage points to a time when God will make all things new, a new body, a new earth, a new joy that we didn't think was possible. Ultimately, when you give God your grief, God gives you his joy. You can have joy because we know that this is not the end. We have a promise for a better future. And we get a promise from the one who gave us that future, who came to be with us. Today, I want to challenge you to look for the joy in this season. I know sometimes it's hard. 
when we're missing someone or something, when we're grieving something, it becomes difficult. But I just want you to remember that Jesus came for you. And he promises you a wonderful future. See, you don't have to let go of grief. That's not what we're... I'm not saying you have to just give up on that and try to deny it, but I want you to take that grief to Jesus. Take it to him and ask him to remind you of the joy that can come along with all things. And if you're struggling, if the grief you're feeling is a struggle of of pain and sorrow from mistakes you've made that you don't believe that God can love you like the Bible says, I want to challenge you to let that go. Give your life over to Jesus. Choose to let him be in your life because he chose to come here and be for you. And then consider being baptized. We're going to baptize at the beginning of the year. We're going to have some baptisms. And if you want to take that step, I would encourage you to reach out to me. Come see me afterwards. I'll be down front here. I would love to talk to you. Make the decision to experience the love and freedom through Jesus. Today we got a little special treat for you. You may have seen them coming in here. Um, They don't normally come in when I'm in the middle of speaking, but they come in, and and we want to help you look for joy this season. When I think of joy, there's nothing more joyful and uplifting than the songs of kids. So we want to invite the kids up here to sing a few songs for you. And I encourage you to sing along with these kids, guys. Don't be mopey people in here in the seats, okay? Sing with them. Because out of the joy of children, you guys can be lifted up as well.